Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are officially back at it. Welcome back to the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, it's game week. You fired up? It is game week. I'm very fired up. Yes, I, uh, man, the football offseason lasts so long, and here we are, September 1st, and it feels like football is going to be here forever, but man, the football season just goes so much faster than the offseason. you got, I mean, essentially between the NFL and college football, you've got Thursdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and Mondays spoken for. That's more than half your week that is consumed by football, and it just goes by in the blink of an eye, but uh, yes, very happy for football season to be here. Did you happen to watch uh, Utah just dismantle the big bad SEC Florida Gators or the absolute Big Ten masterpiece between Nebraska and Minnesota? Did you get to watch any football last night? I put the over under at a minute before you got to Nebraska, Minnesota. How far in are we? Uh, we got to be right at it. Uh, my God. I mean, just pure masterpiece, pure perfection. And I'll have more on my BB, but... Oh, it, it really delivered. And man, I was I was happy to see how I mean Utah just Utah, they're gonna be a problem in the Big 12. They are they just manhandle people with and that was with their backup quarterback. Cam Rising didn't even play. And it was it was men versus boys again with, with Utah. They're they're a fantastic addition to the Big Twelve. Yeah, absolutely they are. They're they're kind of Rocky Mountain, Oklahoma State, aren't they? I mean, there's I think a lot of parrot parallels between Kyle Whittingham and Mike Gundy. Um, Utah has years where they're just kind of rebuilding and restocking the talent pool or they go through injuries and stuff and they win six, seven games. And then when Utah's on and Utah's hitting, they can throw people around a little bit and they go out and they win 10, 11 games. Uh, this is a team that's been to Rose Bowls. So they're, they're kind of, to me, Rocky Mountain, Oklahoma State, and I think they're a fantastic addition to the Big 12. And I continue to be dumbf- dumbfounded that Florida cannot field a competitive football team. I, I don't know what's going on in Gainesville. Billy Napier is obviously going to get fired at some point um, in the somewhat near future. It's just complete dumpster fire down there. Their inability to move the ball last night was, um, it was impressive to watch. Yeah, and if you remember, Utah just ragdolled USC all over the field. You know, the hot, high-flying offense of of Lincoln Riley can score points, but I can't get out of my mind Utah just carrying the Buki Radley Hiles versions of USC's defensive backs into the end zone. So they're they're tough and they're they're really good. And also UCF. One last note: Central Florida. They won 56 to 6 against Kent State. It's Kent State, but they had 723 yards and nine yards per play. And Kent State, Colby, I know they are a different team this year, but they trailed OU at halftime seven to three last year. So a good debut for some of the new Big 12 schools. Yeah, no doubt. UCF is prepared to let it fly. I think that they could be interesting this year in the Big 12. I don't know that I'm going to pick them to make a run to the championship game or whatever. A lot of things have to go right. First year moving up to a different level, so we'll see how the conference schedule uh, wears on UCF throughout the season, but as far as just going down to Orlando facing a fully healthy UCF team, you're going to have to score some points because even if you slow them down somewhat, um, they can just move the football. They've got a great offense. They spread it out. They're fun to watch, so yeah, I I think the the new look Big 12 um, Many more things to be excited about than the new look ACC. 
Well, we we kind of picked OSU's record on the last podcast, and I, I penciled in UCF as a loss on the road. That's going to be a probably a night game. They're probably going to wear their space uniforms. Uh, that that game scares me with with their level of offense with Gus Malzahn. So. Well, we got OSU to talk about their game, op- their season opener uh, against Central Arkansas. Uh, but first, let's hear from C- Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's being with us again this football season. And once again, we'll be doing two podcasts, a preview pod and then a reaction pod uh, after the game is played on Saturday. Uh, Colby, before we get into the actual game, I thought this was interesting. You know, Sports Illustrated wrote kind of, they kind of ranked the college football programs at large, making a super league, you know, that we, you and I have both talked at nauseum about realignment and how it's probably going to end up, you know, like the NFL with major, you know, two major conferences in a super league type format. Well, and I think, you know, Oklahoma state doesn't get a lot of credit nationally for the program that it is now under Mike Gundy. But I think once they have to start ranking them, Colby, that's when it kind of opens their eyes because Sports Illustrated ranked Oklahoma State as the 21st best program in the country. Uh, I, I could, you could argue that based on their history, they could be higher, but I thought that was about right in terms of where OSU ranks in the hierarchy of, of college football. And it's good to see that folks, once they actually have to put pen to pad, they're not putting Nebraska and Minnesota, you know, th- these terrible Big Ten teams that beat up on weaker Big Ten teams. And OSU got some respect there. It's good to see. Yeah, OSU did. Nebraska still gets a little bit of love uh, in this poll, but I mean, it's all historic, right? Um, I mean, they've got where they had Nebraska. I didn't even, I didn't even see that. Twenty three. They had them coming in at twenty three. Um, yeah. The only one that's a real like significant slap in the face, I think, Oklahoma State is Iowa at seventeen. Oh, um, don't I, get I don't, me started. I don't know how people still like Iowa or what they do. I, I don't know if if thirteen to nine is your thing. I guess. Um, but yeah, th- this was. A uh, good good spot for Oklahoma State. I think it's about where they should fall in. I would argue them a few spots higher. Um, but considering that they haven't che- achieved the absolute like peak high level success, like twenty two is Michigan State. Michigan State has been to a college football playoff. They got drubbed when they got there, but they've been to one. Um, they've had a lot of success up there. So I think that's good for Oklahoma State. And nationally, it it just takes time, man. Like, I mean, Oklahoma State has slowly worked its way up, just piece by piece, and you know, a letdown season sets you back some, and then you have a few good seasons and you climb up. So um, as long as you're taking two steps forward, every time you take one step back, you're making slow incremental progress. And I think that's what Oklahoma State has done during Gundy's tenure to get themselves to a point now where most people view them as a top 15 to 25 program in the country. Well, the first step of 2023 is Central Arkansas. Again, it's a non-conference opponent that Oklahoma State should have no problems with. They went five and six last year. Uh, but I thought Marshall Scott wrote a really interesting piece on three things to know about Central Arkansas. We can go through these really, really quickly. Uh, they have a veteran quarterback. You know, they had this Will McIlvain uh, taking over. He was a redshirt freshman at Northern Iowa. He took Iowa State into three overtimes in Ames, uh, which, again, speaking of, like, rankings of, like, programs, Matt Campbell, like – They've lost to the Lafayettes of the world. They can never beat Iowa, seemingly. I think last year was the first time he had beaten them. And even though they were probably, you know, favored to win or had better seasons, they, they go to triple overtime in Northern Iowa. So again, the, the Matt Campbell love has got to lessen a little bit. I, I still see lists where he's ranked ahead of Mike Gundy, which is a complete joke. But they have a veteran quarterback, Colby. So our, the new look Oklahoma State defense is going to get uh, at least a solid, you know, qu- quarterback to face in week one. 
Yeah, they've got a solid quarterback, veteran quarterback. They've got a trio of running backs that look pretty good. I don't think Central Arkansas will be a total pushover. I, I still think it's a different level of football, and Oklahoma State is going to go out and win by 30 points. But um, Central Arkansas will put up a little bit of a fight and will test Oklahoma State in, in some areas. I, I still think that um, that Oklahoma State's going to light them up. They, they've got an all-FCS, all-American on defense. Uh, they've got another one on offense at running back, a, a transfer that came over from, I believe it was North Alabama. Uh, so I think that they'll do some things, but as far as actually making this game competitive, you just don't see it. It's a different level of football for a reason and, uh, Oklahoma state should handle business, but I do like that you're opening with central Arkansas before you face Arizona state and South Alabama, because there are some questions that, that we need answered as fans watching from the outside. And I'm sure the coaches still have a lot of questions about some of these guys that are going to be filling in um, for some seriously productive players at Oklahoma State over the years who have moved on. Yeah, uh, Jaden Rashada looked pretty good last night for Arizona State, too. He threw a couple deep touchdowns, and uh, that's going to be a tricky game on the road with a new head coach at Arizona State. So we'll, we'll have to see on that. Uh, uh, Central Arkansas also has the, the reigning defensive player of the year in their conference guy by the name of David Walker, so two players to watch from from Central Arkansas. And he's a disruptor, Colby. We're going to get a good look at the offensive line from Oklahoma State, how they can protect what I assume will be Alan Bowman at quarterback. You know, he had 12 sacks and 21 tackles for loss last year. He was an FCS All-American. He was a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award, given to the best FCS defender in the country. So, yeah, Central Arkansas, five and six last year. You look at them on paper, you're like, eh, they're, they're going to be out-talented. But they do have some talent on the field that Oklahoma State needs to watch out for. Yeah, no doubt. Oklahoma State will have to uh, play solid, I think, especially early. You know, you just want to go out. You want to establish a lead, um, really kind of bury them so that you can go out and run away from them and kind of get into your offense, see some different guys, see some young guys. Um, but, yeah, if you don't play well in the first quarter – is there a scenario in which Oklahoma State comes out of the court first quarter and it's 10 to 7? Yeah, I think that scenario exists. Um, now, I, I would caution the fan base to not lose your minds if that happens. It, it would just chalk it up to nothing more than a slow start. Um, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think Oklahoma State is going to get out running because you've got quarterbacks that are wanting to prove themselves. Carson, on the Oklahoma State side, I mean, that job is fully locked up at Central Arkansas. We know it's Will McIlvain. He's taking all the snaps. He was solid a year ago. But Oklahoma State has three guys really wanting to prove themselves at that position. Um, so I think it's going to be full speed ahead, at least for the guys on the field. I don't know if they're going to try to keep the play calling vanilla, not show too much, keep it basic. But you've got three guys that want to show what they can do. So I expect Oklahoma State to come out um, and start fast early, which would be a, a nice um, change of pace from things we've seen in the past where you kind of dig yourself a hole and um, not even dig yourself a hole. You just come out slow. I don't want to see Oklahoma State come out of the gate slow. I want to see them come out and be up 17 nothing or 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Hopefully that happens, but UCA is definitely capable of putting up a fight. Well, and the way they could make Oklahoma State come out slow, at least in the scoring line, is being able to establish the run against Oklahoma State's run defense. They had Darius Hale, Kylan James combined a rush for 1,600 yards and 13 touchdowns. And you mentioned you mentioned him, the the transfer from North Alabama, Shunderick Powell. He ran for 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns on his way to FCS All America honors. So, one thing that you know kind of got lost last year, Colby. We 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 harp so much on the offense and Casey Dunn, and the defense was rightly criticized for some poor performances. Uh, the game you and I watched, partic in particular, the Kansas game, where they literally couldn't tackle anyone uh, running the football. Oklahoma State's run defense last year was 178 in the country. 
that's something that we didn't talk probably enough about last year, Colby, is the run defense was terrible last year. So they're going to get a, a pretty stiff early test from an FCS-type team. Yeah, we talked about it after Manhattan. We talked about it after Lawrence, but probably didn't harp on it enough throughout the year. It was on my my three things to watch over here that I wrote down. D-line, square in the middle of that. I, I've got to see just not, not even necessarily building a wall, but you can't have these eight-foot wide running lanes for guys to just cruise through because that's what we saw happen last year in the great state of Kansas up north. It was just eight-foot wide running lanes, dead sprint like you're on a track. That just absolutely cannot happen. I don't know how it was happening last year. Um, so, yeah, and, and I'm really excited to see what Justin Kirkland looks like, too. I, I know that um, it it's, sounds like we're just being a dead horse at this point, but, man, you get size like that, and you get size like that at Oklahoma State, I want to see him take the field and see what he looks like, see if he can move people around, um, see what his stamina is like on what's going to be a really hot night in Stillwater. How many snaps is he getting? Things of that nature. So, um, the D-line all around, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching, and then Kirkland in particular, just to see what he actually looks like uh, in-game action because if his skill even comes close to matching his size, he could be a seriously impactful player for Oklahoma State and for Brian Nardo in year one. Yeah, and they need to keep him healthy because there's not a lot of depth after him and his particular skill set. I shouldn't say depth. I mean his particular mass and what he brings to the table. And that's something, you know, we talk a lot about the 335 and how it's a fit for these spread offenses and certainly in the Big 12. I'm curious to see how they handle the run with the three-man front. Uh, those guys on the back end have to do a lot of work. Um, so that's going to be a good test, I think, uh, at least in week one for Oklahoma State. Uh, they've only played one time against Central Arkansas. That was back in 2015 when Mason Rudolph and Oklahoma State won by a bizarre scoreline, Colby, 32-8, to eight, <laughs> which is just a... It's a weird score. Uh, Rudolph threw for 400 yards. Uh, J.W. Walsh also threw a touchdown pass, named from the past. So not a lot of history here, but uh, that that's something of note that they have played Central Arkansas in, in recent memory. Uh, before we get to what we're looking for, or no, let's go to, let's go to your uh, three things. That, what Number one, what are you looking for? And I'll, I'll give you some of mine. Yeah, I already gave out the D-line. Um, the other one is the quarterbacks, not necessarily how they're playing, I mean, how they're playing, obviously, but that's the obvious one. To me, it's how they're played. Is it Bowman for a series, Rangel for a series, and, and Gundy for a series? Or is it a quarter, a quarter, a quarter? Is it a half for Bowman, a quarter for Rangel, a quarter for Gundy? I'm really curious how they're going to break it up in terms of giving these guys real on-field, in-game opportunities to compete. I also wonder how whatever happens in the first quarter impacts that. Like, if Alan Bowman starts the game and Oklahoma State is up 10-7 to at the end of the first quarter – then what happens at quarterback? Well, what happens if it's 21 nothing? I'm, I'm very curious as to how they rotate the quarterbacks through. If it's Bowman plays until he's done for the night or Bowman plays for a little bit, Rangel plays for a little bit, Gundy plays for a little bit, and they just keep rotating the three through. Um, that is at the top of my list of things I'm watching because I think that will be very indicative of what that depth chart is going to look like moving forward. How do you feel about that? Like uh, part of me says... Uh, I like the fact of rotating series. That way, Arizona State doesn't really know which guy you're going with. But but most of me kind of feels like pick your guy, get him as many reps as possible until the score is out of hand, and then put in the backup. I guess I'm a traditionalist in that way because I just I think game reps with your offense, the timing, the receivers, calling plays, the, the whole operation, you need live game reps. And so I think there's diminishing returns when you're rotating in and out each series. What do you think? Yeah, I, I tend to lean your way. Um, 
Arizona State, Jane Rashada looked pretty good last night in spots. They beat Southern Utah 24-21 to at home. Was that the final? Not... Yes, yeah, 24-21. <laughs> I quit watching. Yeah. Yeah, Arizona State was up 21-7 to at halftime and had to barely hang on for the victory. It's – I'm not really worried about Arizona State. Um, so just tipping your hand as to who your starting quarterback is going to be. If you lose to Arizona State because you tipped your hand on who your starting quarterback is going to be, you deserve to lose to Arizona State. <laughs> I, I would like to see – I would like to see Bowman for a half and then Rangel and Gundy for a quarter each. Uh, like you said, I, I think just if Bowman is your one, and I think he is, a, an entire half with the ones, chemistry, all those things. I think that matters way more than tipping your hand. So, um, yeah, I would like to see Bowman for a full half if, in fact, he is your QB1. Totally agree. I think that's the way to go, and we'll we'll see how Mike Gundy and company handle it. Uh, one thing I'm looking for, I'm sure it's probably on your list too, is just – the running game that's been probably the number one talking point this offseason is this new commitment to running the football. You know, as Casey Dunn was, uh, he, he gave a recent uh, run of quotes about how they've established a new commitment to the run. He said they were a little too pass happy last year and that they're putting in the work and they both admitted they were terrible running the football. Well, it's time to see some of the results of the hard work and it, they're getting back to some of Mike Gundy's roots with running schemes. And this is a game where, you need to be able to run the ball when you want to against a central Arkansas. And I think Colby, we've seen in season openers before uh, Oklahoma state, uh, they win 16 to seven against Tulsa in 2020 because they couldn't establish the run 2021. They win 23 to 16 against Missouri state. Another lackluster opener uh, 58 to 44 against central Michigan was a shootout the season opener in 2022. But the point remains, I think a lot of those, you know, close calls and week one games for Oklahoma State came down to the fact they could not run the football. And those were those were alarm bells for us, Colby, as we're watching the game. We're like, if you can't run the ball against Missouri State, what's going to happen in Big 12 play? And that's exactly what happened. So I think being able to do what you want on the ground is paramount for Oklahoma State. That's my number one thing I'm looking for. Yeah, and that brings me to my next point, which kind of falls right in line with what you're talking about. I'm very curious uh, formationally how Oklahoma State's going to line up. Are we going to see mostly shotgun and spread them out? Are we going to see some under center, um, some 12 personnel? I, I Probably not any 13 personnel, but you never know. Um, yeah, formationally, I'm curious to see what Oklahoma State does because all offseason we've heard about the change in philosophy, the change in, in scheme offensively. Um, the change in, in just run blocking, just philosophically, how you're going to handle these things. You've got a veteran offensive line. You know who your five starters are. Um, I expect Oklahoma State to look pretty different. No cowboy back. I expect Oklahoma State formationally on offense to look pretty different, and I'm very interested to see what that looks like. Yeah, me too. I mean, um, again, and I, I was screaming for Ollie Gordon to get more carries last year, and maybe I'm – too much of a skeptic when the offense doesn't perform well. I'm not at practice every day. I don't see them perform in practice every day. And perhaps that jades me a little bit on their decisions on who gets the most carries. But I think we all can agree that Ollie Gordon is a more talented running back than Dominic Richardson. Um, perhaps I jumped the gun a little bit because Mike Gundy, you know, I think he, I think Mike's a little hard on young players. And we all remember the fumble that, that Ollie had against Baylor where, again, I – I don't fault those guys as much as running backs when they put a pure helmet on the football. When you, when you have the, the football held exactly how you're coached to, and a guy puts a helmet on it and it comes loose, that's 
that's a bit unfortunate. That's yeah, tough. That's that's not being careless with the football, in my opinion. Now, maybe Mike has a different opinion. He certainly has been around football a lot longer than I have. But I'm curious to see if Ollie Gordon can be the player that I thought he was last year, and I think certain p- people are expecting him to be this year. So he he goes he goes hand in hand for me too. That's my second thing I'm looking for. I'm focusing a lot on the run game, Colby. But can Ollie Gordon be a Jalen Warren type? Not necessarily the same style; they're different styles, but as productive as Jalen Warren when he gets the ball in his hands. Yeah, it's a good question. Jalen Warren is just showing out right now with Pittsburgh. He is he's undoubtedly no question about it the best running back on the Pittsburgh Steelers roster. But they invested pretty heavily in Najee Harris, so we'll see what his uh, his snap share ends up being this season um for me offensively Carson I'm curious about the receiver rotation as well are are you running out early in the game and we're seeing only Stribling Presley and Bray out there with QB1 whoever that may be or are we rotating in Shetron are we rotating Blaine Green back in uh, Rashad Owens who's going to be backing up Jaden Bray on the outside I want to see what they're doing with their their receivers and just how frequently they're rotating through I, I really I'm confident in those starting three that Oklahoma State has listed on the depth chart. That's uh, Dejon Stribling coming from Washington State, Brendan Presley, and Jaden Bray. Really confident in those guys. I think there's a lot of unknowns behind them. We've seen Blaine Green, but it's been a while and don't know that we've necessarily seen him pop. We've seen Rashad Owens, just kind of a steady chain mover. And then Shetron is is a little bit more of an unknown, along with Leon Johnson, uh, a senior 65207 is what Leon Johnson's listed at, and he's got an or next to his name alongside uh, Taylor Shetron at the receiver position. So I'm, I'm curious to see how much depth they get into early in the game at receiver. I think your top three are pretty solid. I think you've got a lot of unknowns beyond that. So depth at receiver is a big question mark for me. Yeah, it's going to be hot, like you said. So I think they're going to rotate them in pretty, pretty well, pretty strong, like big, big rotation, at least in week one. Uh, for me, and I, I hate to distill it down to a single player, but I am fascinated with how they end up using Colin Oliver in week one. And again, this comes back to me uh, questioning a lot of the coaching man- maneuvers over the last year or two. Colin Oliver has not been on the field enough. He's one of your best players. Uh, can he be an impact player every series for Oklahoma State's defense? And how are they going to use him? Is he going to be on the field enough? I mean, you got people down in Norman talking up Trace Ford. Trace Ford was barely on the field last year. He was on the th- on the field for maybe a third of the plays. So I don't I don't know if that was just last year's scheme or if that's that trend's going to continue. But that's that's number one thing I want to see too is how is Colin Oliver used on defense? Well, you got to keep in mind too with with the excitement from OU fans. It's a lot easier to get excited about the little things when you're a sub 500 football team, right? You're just looking for incremental improvements. <laughs> so we've got to keep in mind the context uh, that surrounds that. Um, no, those were my my three offensive keys. The, the defensive line is really my defensive key. Um, it's not necessarily a key for me, but I'm just looking forward to watching Kendall Daniels run around. Um, looking forward to watching those linebackers, Colin Oliver. I, I will be curious. So Colin Oliver, I think, is, is going to be out there most of the time. Xavier Benson, I think, is going to be out there most of the time. But Nicholas Martin and Justin Wright, there's an or right there on the depth chart. Um, so that'll be another thing to watch. Um, number four and number 44. Martin's four and Justin Wright's 44. So uh, keep, an, keep an eye on those guys in the middle of the field defensively. Yeah, I think that job's up for grabs. I think this is going to be you know, test number one for them and they're going to review the film and go from there. So that's, it's good to have options and that's why they hit up the portal um, 
uh, for Wright coming out of Tulsa. So uh, before we get to our picks and look around the rest of the country and get to Bullets and BBs, they're from Chris's Mercy Spirit, the one-stop shop for all your cowboy needs. We're going to do the uniform preview, the uniform prediction, I should say, Colby, for week one. Would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? Uh, you go ahead and lead. I've got mine written down. It is in pen. So I'm not copying Carson, no matter what he says. Well, there's a new level of intrigue this year, obviously with the new uniforms that are very much throwbacky to the 88 uniforms we love so much. I just think week one, you've gone to the traditional uniform, uh, template. It's week one. I think they go straight up tradition, white helmet with the brand, orange Jersey, white pants, Keep it simple, keep it traditional, unveil the uniforms, how they were worn all those years ago, and go straight up white, orange, white. So on my sheet of paper, Carson, in all caps, I have written the word WOW, which stands for white, (laughs) orange, white. Uh, For the reasons that you said, I've also, I've got the brand listed here, so we have the exact same uniform prediction um for another reason too it's going to be so hot tomorrow i think we can just flat out rule out black like they're not running out black week one when it's gonna be 125 degrees on the turf uh when they go out for warm-ups kickoffs at six but they're gonna be out there at what like four four thirty getting loose uh and they're gonna be absolutely cooking on that turf so you get the white hat orange shirts white pants uh brand on the side it's classic it's a nice smooth rollout of your new uniforms. Um, I don't think they're using Curse of Cowboys in week one against Central Arkansas. So, um, yeah, we're in agreement, and I would actually be pretty surprised if we're wrong. I think we're going to get this one right. I do too. Uh, Important note from our uniform expert, Justin Southwell. Uh, Last time they played Central Arkansas, they wore black, black, gray. Our job has gotten a lot easier, Colby, with with no gray. So we don't have to worry about throwing in a gray pants here and there with our predictions. So our job has gotten somewhat easier despite – the 99 different helmets they have and all the combos. The helmet is the tough one normally, but the the elimination of the gray definitely makes life a little little easier. Yep. So, what do you what do you think, Colby? What uh what's your prediction on the week 1 and mainly just how do you see the game playing out and then give your score? Yeah, I think that Oklahoma State is going to come out and I think it's going to be 17 nothing at the end of the first quarter. I really I think they're going to come out strong. Um this is a team that after last season had to deal with the guys who were on the roster had to deal with just a lot of negativity um, coming from fans, coming from podcasts. Um, I mean, it was everywhere. Newspapers to turn your radio on wherever you want to look. There was a lot of negativity. I think the off season was pretty good to Oklahoma state. And I I think that there has been a little bit of a reinvigoration with Mike Gundy. Um, I think they're going to come out strong with a lot of energy. So I think it'll be 17, nothing at the end of the first quarter. And I think Oklahoma state is just going to casually coast to a 48 to 17 win. Uh, don't think they're shutting UCA out by any, any means. Don't think Oklahoma state's going to score 70, but just a good solid 48 to 17 win to open the season. Well, I hope you're right. I'm a little less bullish than you. Uh, again, 2020 season opener, Spencer Sanders gets hurt. That's important to note that Shane Ellingworth was not prepared at all for that environment. They win 16 to seven in 2020 in the season opener, 2021 Missouri state. They win 23 to 16. Uh, and then they beat central Michigan 58 to 44. So some closer score lines than we're used to seeing in week one against inferior competition. And I think I have to look at this objectively, Colby, you have a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive scheme, and you have just, I forget the exact number of new players, but it's, these were close games in years past with 
a, a cognizant, you know, tenured roster without nearly as much turnover. So you got a bunch of guys playing with each other in a, in a live game for the first time. You got a new defensive coordinator, uh, somewhat new run scheme, we're told, with, with Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy at the helm. I just think there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of newness to where I think it can be a little choppy. Um, so I'm going to go a little lower scoring. I'm going to go 38 to 21. That's going to be my score, 38-21. So decent score line uh, in terms of the margin. But what, do you have a point spread? What's the point spread on this game? Is there one? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. I saw 35 and a half earlier in the week, I believe. I do not think Oklahoma State covers, if that tells you where I'm leaning. Now, I, I do think the offense, like you said, will come out pretty well to start, but I, I just think it's going to be kind of a slog with so much turnover and new schemes and things of that nature. So, and the run defense flat out wasn't good last year. And I, it's, I think it's proven that central Arkansas can run the football a little bit, at least enough to kind of shorten the game a little bit. Let's see Oklahoma state. Uh, I now do not see a line listed. So I was well, it's get- tough when they play FCS school. Sometimes they don't list yeah. lines for those. Yeah, I thought it was 35 and a half. Maybe I was looking at the OU game earlier in the week. That's probably what it would be, though, right? Around 35? I would think so. Um, Which, I mean, my 48-17 wouldn't even be a cover at that point. So it'd be be tough to cover a spread that big. You got to score a lot of points. Um, Yeah, I I think you make some valid points there. I just think that – I think there's even a decent level – of competition dip to get, I don't know, UCS, UCA is a good FCS team. I just think the, the level of competition is so different um, that Oklahoma state's going to blow them out, but uh, we'll see. They have struggled in season opener. So I guess I'm predicting the the change here. Uh, and you're predicting what has been more than norm over gosh, nearly a half decade now that Oklahoma state has struggled in season openers. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to make central Arkansas to be something they're not. I mean, again, they went five and six last year. I think it has more to do with Oklahoma State than it does Central Arkansas. So uh, hopefully they they come out and win forty eight nothing. I don't. We'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, you ready for bullets and BBs? Yes, sir. What do you got? I'm gonna start. I've got two bullets. My first one I'm gonna give out. Same guy I gave it to last week. Let's just let's all stand up and applaud for Victor Hovland. I mean, this guy is just the best. Sits up there in his post-round press conference, uh, asked him what, what he's going to do with $18 million, and he laughs. Says, I live in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Money goes a long way there. <laughs> uh, and, and he's not wrong, and he's just – he's the best. He's so easy to root for. I hate that he's from Europe, and I'm going to have to root against him in three weeks. Uh, it's probably not going to matter. We haven't won over there in 30 years. So uh, he'll, <laughs> probably, he'll probably come out on the high side of that one as well. But he's just so easy to root for, and he's gotten his game to a point now – um, I talked about it last week. The short game is no longer a weakness. He's good around the greens. The, the putts that he was rolling in on the back nine as Xander was chasing him on Sunday to win the tour championship, the $18 million bonus that comes with it. Um, it, it just, those two weeks, those back-to-back weeks really launched Victor Hovland into another stratosphere in terms of his career. I think how he's viewed, um, internationally in, in terms of the hierarchy of golf, He's one of the top five players in the world, um, and he he caught fire at the right time. So love Victor Hovland and love seeing him do what he did. Yeah, his uh, his money also, he said he can now buy guac at Chipotle. Apparently he's a big Chipotle guy. Yeah, I thought he uh, I thought he said that he could buy the guac a long time ago when he won his first event. But he is that was his oh, first. That's, that's right. He just he just ate Chipotle after the last one. <laughs> yeah, that was his first meal after winning the Tour Championship was Chipotle, and it did look like there was about four pounds of guac on his burrito. Yeah, are you a guac guy, by the way? Am I what? 
Are you a guac guy? Oh yeah, I I splurge. I get the guac when I go to Chipotle. Got to. That's what I want to dip my chips in. See, I'm not a uh, I'm not a guac guy. I don't know if it's the 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 green color, the texture. Um, yeah, that's so I did, good. I, I've never been able to. I've never been able to get into the guac craze. Everywhere we go, I, I get no guac on stuff, and people think I'm crazy. Have you tried it, or are you just afraid of it? Because when I was a kid, I wouldn't eat it because I, it just looked I've horrible. Tried I've tried it probably not since college. I think I tried it in college, and I was well, like, oh. That's, your palate changes, son. You should give it a try next time. Yeah, I should try it again because who knows? Maybe I'll like it now, and I can uh, join in all the fun everyone else is having. My bullet goes to the Utes of Utah, just absolutely laying the smack down on Florida. Really a great showcase for them on on a Thursday night. Really a, a look at a team that, again, is going to come into the Big 12 and right away is going to be a, ch- a championship contender. They're, they're winning the Pac-12. Uh, they're going to contend in the Big 12 as well. And just it was a good showcase for them. And again, Kyle Whittingham, you mentioned it. Him and Mike Gundy are so similar. Their resumes are so close together. Uh, I'm just thrilled they're in the league. And last night was also a, a great night for Brett Yormark. I bet he lit a stogie to to celebrate the win. Yeah, that's a good one. Utah is really strong. Uh, excited for them to join. I mean, last night, Utah, UCF, as far as opening Thursday night football, as far as college football being played in August goes, that's about as well as it could go for the new look Big 12. I've got another bullet. I couldn't leave him out. Jason Taylor. Jason Taylor goes out and makes the roster with the LA Rams. Seventh round pick, underdog to make the roster. Uh, he's just in the right place at the right time. No surprise to me that he was doing that in camp with the Rams. This guy is just a playmaker. Um, this defense is going to be young. They, they've got a lot of holes to fill. They're going to have a lot of guys that you've never heard of. And Jason Taylor will have a chance to see the field. I'm sure he'll play some special teams, uh, but I'd like him to see, I'd like to see him be able to get out there, uh, and play some safety. Devin Harper made the Cowboys roster. Christian Holmes made the Commanders roster. Tyler Lacey, fourth-round pick to the Jags. He made the roster. So a lot of things going well for Cowboys in the NFL. Yeah, that's fantastic. And Taylor just is a playmaker. We all know that. I'm sure he's made a million plays in camp and really forced them to keep him on the roster. That's 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 awesome. And OSU needs more guys in the NFL. And they've, they've done a good job of that under Mike Gundy, and it's good to see guys sticking on, on rosters this year as well. My BB is going to go to the Big Ten Masterpiece. The ESPN Classic should just air terrible, unwatchable, boring, slow Big Ten games just for sheer punishment. Because if you want to be punished, cue this bad boy up. Do you have any total yards Minnesota had, Colby? I would guess it's in the 200s. Try 251. That's that's like a quarter for a really good Oklahoma State offense. That's 62 yards a quarter for those of you keeping track at home. That's like a half for most teams in the country. And they, by the way, they won the football game. And as um, my follower Steve King put it, he tweeted me uh, about the, this masterpiece that was played. He said, you probably have a better chance of winning the lottery than gaining 20 first downs on 251 yards. Congrats, Gophers. And that leads us to Nebraska. They hire Matt Rule. They're just doing really well on the recruiting trail. Matt Rule's going to get them back to prominence. They could be back. And they lay an egg, completely lay an egg. I think they had like 
four first and goal. I saw this stat on Twitter, like four first and goals and scored like seven points <laughs> on the whole, on those four trips. So like, it's just people again, try to tell me the big Ten's good. It's not watch the games. You, you think Oklahoma state could score 13 points again, or you think Oklahoma state could score more than 13 points against Minnesota. Uh, Carson, Nebraska completed 11 passes last night, had four turnovers. So they had less than three times the <laughs> amount of completed passes that they had turnovers. Minnesota had 55 yards rushing and won the game. Just, it's horrible. It's a work of art. Or these I two teams. I don't think it is horrible. I think it is art. I think it is absolute art what they do in the Big Ten. Oh, Kirk Ferentz was glued to his television. I'm sure he was talking up the punter he's going to face in week one. But again, it's my last thing here. Programs like this, Nebraska, Minnesota, Rutgers, go, go down the entire Big Ten West. These programs single-handedly saved Jim Harbaugh's job. Michigan reduced his contract because they wanted to fire him. And now he's making the playoff because he gets to play these jabronis, these horrible Stone Age offenses. He just gets to roll. Minnesota rested their starters last year in the, in, the, in November because they wanted to get ready for the Big Ten title game. They, they weren't even concerned about losing against these teams with their backups. So it's just, when are people going to realize this conference sucks? doesn't stink. It sucks. Uh, you nailed it. Also, Carson, I'm looking at the box score here. I really am fascinated. Uh, I didn't watch this game, but the box score is fascinating. 13 to 10, right? Just a defensive, just slug. Not one player on either team hit double-digit tackles. How does that happen in a 13 to 10 Big Ten master? <laughs> Not one single player hits double-digit tackles. I, I guess it's probably because of play volume, right? They're probably running a play every, um, I don't know, 39 and a half seconds, if I had to guess. So yeah, well, there's a lot yeah. of. Well, let's look at the uh, the play by play. First drive, nine plays, six plays, 13, 7, 12, 11, 1, uh, 2, 3, 6, 7, 13, 3, 3, 8, 4, 10, 5, 6. Those are the drive. That's the amount of plays per drive. They can't, it's a punt fest. They can't even string double digit plays together. I mean, how terrible. Let's not pretend that Nebraska and Minnesota got a bunch of first-round picks on defense either. They're not some defensive juggernaut. It's just, it's so bad. It's amazing to me. The only reason the Big Ten has the TV contract they have is they have a million alumni. That's the only reason, because those are the only people willing to sit through this crap. Yep, they've got a million alumni. They've got Ohio State and Michigan. And then there's a whole bunch of Nebraskas and Minnesotas filling out that conference. Also, I'm really glad that game was on Thursday night uh, because it would have gotten lost in the shuffle on Saturday and it deserved a little bit bigger stage, a little bit bigger platform uh, for the country to see what happens in the Big Ten on a week-to-week basis. My BB Carson, we've already talked a decent bit about it. It's the exact opposite of your bullet. Uh, my BB is Florida. How can Florida not field a football team? It's Florida. I mean, all growing up, I just knew Florida, powerhouse. Like, even years that they're down, they're just going to be a little down, and then they'll be right back. Then you go through the Urban Meyer era, which, you know, there were some things going on, but those teams dominated. I, I just don't know how they can't get a decent coach that, that can last more than three seasons down there. They seemingly get talent. I mean, they they just had Anthony Richardson at quarterback. They couldn't do anything with him down at Florida. We'll see what he turns into in the NFL. 
I just don't know how these schools that have all the advantages, the history, the resources, the money, all these different things, the, the, the notoriety nationally, you know, um, Florida plays on, on TV, and it's a big deal just because they're Florida. Same thing with Texas. Same thing with some of these schools across the country that just leave you shaking your head and thinking how can they not put a decent product on the field. Uh, and it's going to be another bad season for Florida. I mean, I, I don't think that team goes to a bowl. I think that team could win, I don't know, four games. I, I really don't know. The SEC is is a great conference, but it's very top-heavy. And, uh, yeah, Florida is a complete disaster. I, I don't know how they continue to be so underwhelming. Well, as a Florida State fan, I love it. And I hope they take care of LSU because, again, the SEC is the best conference. Make no mistake. But there's – there's a lot of programs resting on their laurels, like a Florida. Uh, it's basically Georgia and Alabama you absolutely fear. But I ain't afraid of anybody else in that conference. I'm sorry. That includes LSU, which they're going to have athletes, but you know they're, they're pretty up and down as a, as a program as well. So the big bad SEC is pretty top-heavy, just like the big – and that's the, that's the point, right? Like That's why I've stuck, stuck up for the Big 12. Like, yeah, sure, they're, they're top two or better than the Big 12, but – the rest of those teams, I mean, they're they're about the same. I mean, they don't scare you by any means. So I, I agree with you. Speaking of SEC, I was looking here. I didn't think that they had made an announcement yet. Uh, uh, Lane Kiffin can't decide. Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders, who who you got and why? I, he can't decide. Um, I guess they're both going to They play Mercer tomorrow. So I guess they're probably both going to play. I assume when Spencer transferred down there that he – was going to be the starter. I think it's very much up in the air. So we'll uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. He really hasn't announced a starter. I thought I thought Dart had already won the job. I thought Spencer was riding second team. Nope, still uh, still Spencer and Dart going going back. Well, and, and there's been reports that you know Spencer had a big NIL deal lined up at Oklahoma State, which I think Colby just kind of further proves that I think Mike Gundy just was done with the Spencer experiment. I mean, cause why, and remember, remember how long it took for Sanders to find a home? Like, I don't, all those things add up to me that, you know, he was pretty much given his walking papers and had to scramble to find a program to go to. I don't think he just chose Ole Miss in this quarterback situation out of a plethora of options. Do you? Um, yeah, no, you might be right on that. I, I, I just still thought that he was good enough that he was going to go down there and be the starter, but his departure from Oklahoma state was weird, right? I mean, he had a chance to come back next year and uh, become the winningest quarterback in school history, set some records, do some things. Uh, fan base really seemed to kind of be coming around on Spencer and, and liked Spencer before things went sour at the end of last season. It was a weird departure. It was weird that he sat in the portal for so long before he wound up at Ole Miss. Uh, so maybe it will end up being Jackson Dart's job. But uh, I just pulled up four or five stories written within the last uh, day or two, one of them a half hour ago, that they still have not decided on a QB1, and both quarterbacks are preparing to be QB1. So that'll be something interesting to watch throughout the season because I, I do think it would be fun to watch Spencer in another offense just to see what he looks like because the offensive lines struggled so badly in his time at Oklahoma State. Uh, but who knows? We may or may not get to see that. Yep, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, any other games you're looking for this weekend? Are you going um, to Stillwater? I will not be able to go to Stillwater. I have to work uh, tomorrow, and then it would have been a really tight turnaround with the baby and getting up there and everything. Uh, and tomorrow's actually my birthday, the big 3-1, so going to work. Oh, happy birthday. And, yeah, thank you. Going to work, and then uh, tomorrow evening, probably going to go watch 
the first half uh, at dinner with some friends and then come back and, and put the three TVs on college football uh, probably for about four or five hours until the, the, the late hours tomorrow night. So I will not be there. Uh, you going to go sit in the heat? I would, I would assume not for game one. Is this a safe? Is this a safe space? Have people turned off the pod? This is no. People have not turned off the pod. Yes, this is a safe space. I'm going to be in Norman on Saturday. What? Oh, it's not that safe. Hold on. <laughs> I, I just thought you were going to tell me you weren't going to Stillwater. I didn't expect you to tell me you're going to Norman. Hey, oh, man. My my wife is an OU alum. Uh, her best friend from Houston's coming up. There's a big group. Like we're taking like a a bus to the game. I'm mainly there for the camaraderie. Uh, I'm not wearing any OU shirt, rest assured. I did buy Colby just in case this arose. I don't think I can wear it because <laughs> it has, mentions Russia and communism. But do you remember Brian Bosworth wearing yes. the national communists against athletes? Like that was kind of like my, it's like a quasi OSU shirt because of what all the NCAA's done to Oklahoma State. Uh, that was going to be my my joke shirt I was going to wear, but I don't I don't think I can wear that in public. I'll probably just wear like a white polo. Yeah, somebody snaps a picture of you wearing that thing and throws it up on the X. You got problems. So, yeah, um, yeah no, that's uh, it's the opener against Arkansas State, and I, I do I keep forgetting that your wife is an OU alum. That's a a tough position you've been put in. It's there. It's the but. business I have chosen. Uh, she's she's an amazing woman. I'm very very lucky, uh, but we are a house divided, and uh, I'm gonna make sure she goes to Stillwater at least once. Rest assured, I'm gonna try to. I gotta go to Bedlam, right? It's the last one. I gotta, I gotta find a way to get up there for Bedlam. Everybody has to go to Bedlam. I have to go to Bedlam. You have to go to Bedlam. Everyone listening has to go to Bedlam. Everyone in the state has to go to Bedlam. I think actually they should open the ro- the roof at Boone Pickens Stadium um, for additional seating, standing room only, on the rail, on the roof at BPS. That's <laughs> the way to do it for the final battle. And Gallagher Iba, sell sell them up yeah. top there too. Yeah, sell. Uh, you stand behind the cheerleaders on the field. Field, field level passes. Oh, just like title. full, full like Super Bowl halftime show where those people like just are on the field surrounding the stage. It's like sardines. Everybody just, what's it hold? 60,200 and something? Let's get 80,000 people into Boone Pickens Stadium for the last bedlam. That field is so tight that would look like a bowling ball and pins anytime a player went out of bounds. They just knocked oh. like 10 people over. Yeah, the sidelines, I mean, especially maybe not at the 50-yard line, but down around the end zone, those sidelines are dangerously close to the field. I mean, it's shocking to me that we don't more often have a guy go into a wall and, and suffer an injury. It's it's crazy, uh, but I, I love it. I think it adds to the atmosphere and it makes it super unique versus other stadiums around the country. So, Colby, week one, we shall see what happens and we'll get back with you after the game. Yes, sir. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will have the post game coming at you, uh, I believe, Sunday, since this is a late Saturday kick. So thanks for listening. Enjoy all the college football this weekend. Go Pokes.